Are you a small business owner or someone who has a real interest in building your own brand? Then deep dive into the UP Consulting Group's Business Building Bootcamp, the annual convention and training camp for entrepreneurial spirits. Join us this March 5 and 6 to discover how you can unlock your business potential. This program is brought to you by ParcelBear. ParcelBear is the first eco-friendly courier service in the metro. They use craft paper and corn mailers for their packages and deliver the next day. But they are more than just a courier service. ParcelBear envisions their service to be the most friendly and trustworthy in the industry. For more information, visit www.weparcelbear.com. Based on the Youngblood column of the Philippine Daily Inquirer, this is the Youngblood Podcast. Stories written by the Filipino youth that inform, empower, and inspire. I'm your host, Leah Angela Shoko. What would you do if you saw a guy in a yellow dress? Would you be silently weirded out or would you shamelessly laugh? Ask the same question. Atria, this week's featured writer, says she'd put on her brother's blue jerseys, go back out, and say hello. She explains why in her essay, The Guy in a Yellow Dress. Would you laugh if you see a guy wearing a yellow dress? If I were six years old, I would. But at 21, I'd go home, put on my brother's blue jerseys, go back out, and say hello. I'm not trying to sound nice. I'm trying to defy gender roles and societal expectations based on someone's sex. Because these roles and expectations have gradually eroded humanity. I'd like to call myself a feminist, a member of a movement that has progressed to fight against the oppression of women. But I don't think that I am. I am for both men and women who are victims of sexism. I can remember that as a child, I was always reprimanded for going out to play with boys my age. The older ones always warned me not to trust boys, simply because they are boys. Before the words were spoken, everything was without malice. But when the words were out, in the mind of a little girl, these boys were created to become rapists and murderers. Now we blame poverty, corruption, elitism, lack of education, and evil spirits for all the crimes committed in our society. We'd call for justice, but did we not mold these criminals ourselves through our incessant demand for differentiating boys from the girls? When we begin to speak of boys as boys and imagine malicious acts that they will commit on girls, do we not doom them and give them an excuse to do such acts? Are only boys capable of doing these acts? Why are they condemned and judged for their strength and build? If, in the beginning of time, we did not teach our girls to be wary of boys, but instead, to treat them as the children that they were, wouldn't this world be a safer place? I do not want my girls to someday be in constant fear of boys. I do not want my boys to someday be constantly feared by girls. If only we look beyond our physiological composition, we will see that we all had fewer hearts when we were children. 
waiting to be nurtured, are poisoned. Of course, I won't force my little boy to wear a yellow dress, or my little girl to wear blue jerseys. What I'm trying to say is that, beneath these material things that have come to clothe our sexuality, let us look at one another without bias. Let us look at one another as an individual. Let us not be defined by our sex and preference. Let us be human, but a better and kinder one. This message will take a lot of voices in order to be heard. This is going to be a strenuous walk, because if it were easy, I won't be talking about it now. This would have been achieved decades, if not centuries ago. I hope that someday we will get better, that we will stop dividing and classifying. In our efforts to protect ourselves, we have victimized the innocents. It's difficult, I know, because even if we just look into somebody's eyes, there will be a classification of blues, greens, and browns, not to mention the rare purples and blacks. But we don't stop looking right there. We look through them and begin to see someone's mind that share the same beliefs of love, peace, freedom, hope, and equality. Have you seen a guy in a yellow dress? I haven't, but I hope to see one someday. This message will take a lot of voices in order to be heard. This is going to be a strenuous walk, because if it were easy, I won't be talking about it now. This would have been achieved decades, if not centuries ago. I hope that someday we will get better, that we will stop dividing and classifying. In our efforts to protect ourselves, we have victimized the innocents. It's difficult, I know, because even if we just look into somebody's eyes, there will be a classification of blues, greens, and browns, not to mention the rare purples and blacks. But we don't stop looking right there. We look through them and begin to see someone's mind that share the same beliefs of love, peace, freedom, hope, and equality. Have you seen a guy in a yellow dress? I haven't, but I hope to see one someday. Atria's essay was first published in January 4, 2018. Today, she joins me on a call from her hometown in Guimaras to talk about her current views on feminism and why she thinks we should be wary of stereotyping people based on their gender. First off, welcome to the Young Blood Podcast, Atria. How are you? How is your 2021 so far? I can say that it's been a really busy start of the year. I started working last January, and it was a busy week because there were a lot of research work, and also I'm currently working on the paper for the volunteer work that I do. But I can say that I'm well-rested since yesterday and ready for the interview. 
Amazing. Good to know. Thanks for sharing. And yeah, before we hop right into your essay, I want to ask you an icebreaker question. Are you ready for it? Yeah, I'm super ready. All right. So the icebreaker question is, what's something that is overrated in your opinion and why? I would say that it's the number of likes we get on social media. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's also kind of related to your testament on gender expectations, which is what your essay is about, the guy in a yellow dress. It's super interesting because it reminds me of the girl in the green scarf of the book and the movie Confessions of a Shopaholic. So I wanted to really just get that out. And going back into your essay and just how you wrote it, I want to know what's your young blood story. So basically, why did you write this essay? What made you pick this title? Why did you send it for publication? And what was your reaction when it was published? When I wrote this essay, I was on my journey on a very independent life away from my family. And then my family, although they are open-minded about change, it's understandable for them to still hold on to conventional beliefs and traditional mindset. It's not easy to break that. I've watched films about the World War II, documentaries about the martial law, and my family, they survived this. They lived at a time where killings and massacres are rampant. So they lived in a violent time, and I understand where they are coming from. But while I was growing up, I was confined in this box that they have where women should belong and a separate box for men. And it wasn't just created along the way. They live in these boxes too. And whenever I ask them why, it would always come down to the point that they're just trying to protect me because I am a girl. But it's also about these boys, these men being judged for their build and strength. But isn't that unfair? Because I know a lot of boys my age who just want the same things that I want for myself, which is to be loved and cared for. So after I have written this essay, I thought to myself, this is the one that I'm going to send to Young Blood for publication. Because my school paper advisor in high school, he would always push me to send an article. And I would always tell him that, yes, I will. But I didn't feel it in my heart yet that I don't have the right essay yet. But after writing the guy in a yellow dress, I thought to myself, this essay could be it. Because in this essay, I have something to say. And it's something that I think people should hear or read for that matter. So after I found out that it got published, actually, I only found out about it because my fellow editor, when I was in college, told me about it. So it was published January 2018 and I found out about it around May, June of the same year. And there's just this one comment that really stuck in my mind because I wasn't able to reply to the comment anymore. And someone from another country says, but boys and men wear yellow all the time in our country and it's normal. But that's not my point. Actually, it's not about yellow at all. It about how the older people had been unfair to boys and girls alike. Why sexism is so prevalent nowadays? It's because of people like them who tolerated it, advocated it even. And that is so wrong. But even after then, I continued writing about the things that really matter to me. And another article was published. So I can say that that's my journey with young blood. Mm-hmm. 
congrats, delayed, but still, I'm really happy and proud of you for doing this. And I think your essay is a testimony of your apparent love for equality and human rights, and obviously gender equality. Did you always have this passion for these subject matters, and how did you become Atria, the advocate for equality that you are today? You know, whenever I am asked this question, it always brings me to that memory when I was around nine or ten. And I remember that I was in the living room watching cartoons and a breaking news came up and flashed in the television. So there's this place of war, hungry faces, sometimes bloody, and there were a lot of children just like me. And I remember telling myself that I want to be there. I would love to play with these kids, make them laugh, share with them my food. And in that moment, I knew in my heart that there's so much more that I want to do for them, for us. I'd say that I wasn't always kind. I wasn't always in the mood to be an advocate. I have my ups and downs. But every time, it is an active decision that I make. Before I became a writer, I am human first. And I always remind myself that between what I write and what I do is a thin line of hypocrisy. And I don't want to become a hypocrite. So the changes that I want to see in the society, everything that I am writing, I change that in me first. And I change through constant learning. I believe that it is important to keep learning, to see things from different perspectives, because by then we begin to understand And when we understand, we forgive. But what we forgive, we do not tolerate. But instead, we change them, not with hatred, but with love. Wonderfully put. Thank you so much. I love that last sentiment. Powerful words for sure. And even more powerful is this line that I really love in your essay. You wrote, and I quote, I'd like to call myself a feminist, a member of a movement that has progressed to fight against the oppression of women. But I don't think that I am. I am for both men and women who are victims of sexism. Is your definition for feminism still the same, that it's really just for women? And if it changed, how so and why? It definitely changed. I'm so thankful for this podcast because I am able to say that something has changed with that. It was written three years ago and it was written at that time when I was perhaps still confused. I was exposed to the twisted kind of feminism when I hear and read things where women just wanted equality in terms of rights, but not in responsibilities. But I soon learned that that is not what feminism really is. It's not an attempt to dominate and discriminate men. A person can be a feminist and at the same time empathize with and advocate and acknowledge that men are human beings as well. In fact, it is to both men and women that society mm-hmm. has done so many wrongs. So I was just thinking that feminism is not really about women only, but it's for the advancement of both sexes and other genders as well. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think when I was younger, 13, 14, I always thought that feminism was generally for just feminine people who are super positive about just women and not so much about men. 
But then one eye-opener that changed my belief was really Emma Watson's speech at the United Nations He for She campaign, wherein she said that when we support women, when we empower them, we should also not forget that we should also allow men to be soft and to be emotional. Because, you know, if you want to break that gender expectation and barriers, the trouble, and like what you said, the fine line between hypocrisy and really doing what you're preaching. Yeah. You really need to support both sexes in order to fully achieve that utopia of equality where no one's going to judge anyone. Everyone's going to be able to freely express who they really are. So I totally agree with what you said. Definitely. It's important that we keep on learning because by then we actually find things that we have to change because there are different perspectives that we have learned. And it's important that we don't stay the same. There's always a lot of improvements. So this definitely, the definition of feminism is one of those changes that I am truly grateful about. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned changes and improvements. So looking back at how you were brought up, both in school and at home, what do you wish they'd taught you? And if you could create the required class for like all students to take in school, probably about gender equality and also being more open-minded, stuff like that, what would that be and why? Looking back at how I was brought up, I wish they taught me, my parents, my teachers, the family, the society, that girls and boys are not on opposite sides in this struggle. You see, I was not always like this, as I have said. Who sees the struggle of boys and men? So growing up, I saw boys and men as enemies of women, except for family members, of course. I was that feisty little girl who just fights every boy along her way. But I was so wrong. And I'm glad that I didn't stay and think the same way that I did back then. And if I could create a required class for all students to take, it would be Parenting 101. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Parenting 101. More often than not, we forget the vital role that parents have not only in raising a kid, but in shaping the society. We always say that the youth is the future. But with the rise in cases of teenage parenthood, and I'm saying this as teenage parenthood and not just teenage pregnancy because the responsibility falls on both the parents. How do we raise children that way? What are the things that really matter in raising a child? What are we forgetting? What do we not know that we ought to pass on to our children? What values should we teach them? What is it that our kids truly need from us? How do we love them the right way? Because of the proverb saying that it takes a village to raise a child, it is not mistaken to put it that way. How do teenage parents, their parents, and every individual as part of a society work together to raise a child? How do we work together to cope with poverty, domestic abuse, and things as such to make sure that a child doesn't feel neglected? Because it's not only the parents who has the responsibility of making sure that a child grows up to become a good citizen. Mother Teresa says, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And I believe that it is important to emphasize that when a child feels loved, there is little room for darkness to wreak havoc whenever they grow up as adults who run the world. We should really raise 
the children to become the people we expect the society to have. I agree with you. And now going back to writing, what do you want to say to our listeners who may be considering to write for the Philippine Daily Inquirer? And if you may share, how did you become the writer that you are today? So for those who are listening right now, I've always wanted to write for the Philippine Daily Inquirer. This is the sign that you should write that essay. Write that essay, send it to Youngblood. At the end of the day, you did what you could. It doesn't matter if it gets published or not. Read your essay to your friends, send a copy to your mentors, accept the mistakes, correct the mistakes, grow from what you have initially written. What matters is you have spoken and you shared it even just one person. Never again can you say no one knows. I could say that not much has changed with my writing styles, but what made me the writer that I am today, what has changed are the things that I choose to write about. The essays that I ever come mm-hmm. up with, what made me the writer that I am now, they were born out of my struggles and experiences, how I was shaped by them. But not only that, they were born out of how I see the struggles and experiences. We can all be looking at the same moon, but we all see it differently. And I think that's the beauty of being a writer. People read what you write and suddenly you have that magic of shifting different angles and perspectives and painting the world in a way that you thought only you could see until you showed it to other people. Now, what's something that you want to say to teachers, parents, lawmakers, or decision makers, basically people in authority, who have the power to develop and nurture our Filipino youth's interest in gender equality and human rights? I have observed that we do things based on instinct, based on what we are conditioned to do. And look at us. We have forgotten what the children really need from us. And this is what I always say. We have to put ourselves in the shoes of other people. Only then can we come up with something that is effective. What do you need from your parents as a child? What do you need from your teachers as a student? What do you need from the government when you were still not part of it? The answer to those questions, those are what you can do now. This lesson of empathy of always putting ourselves in the shoes of other people. Yeah, it serves true for everyone. Just be kind, you know. It's always better to be kind than to be always right. Yeah, and to end this conversation on a lighter note, I want to ask you, Atria, what makes you excited right now? I'm excited of the possibility of my dreams coming true. And of course, the possibility of having the world changed into something that we want it to be. Maybe I'm not be alive when it happens. It might not be in this lifetime. But the thing is, I have planted my share of seed. So it's really for the future generations. And I'm excited for that to be a part of that history, of that change actually happening. Wonderful conversation with you, Atria. Thanks again for coming and for speaking on thank the show. Thank you as well. And thank you to all the listeners. Atria first started writing essays when she was in grade school after her teacher saw her crying silently and told her that if she couldn't communicate her feelings to people verbally, writing's a good way to do it. As she was growing up, whenever asked what she wanted to be, she'd say happy. 
But now, she'd say that she just wants to be an inspiration to her fellow youth. She loves yellow because it's a happy color. This has been the Youngblood Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions as to which works to feature on our next episodes, please feel free to reach out to us on Facebook or to DM us on Instagram. We're also on other social media platforms like LinkedIn and Twitter, so if you want, please go ahead and give us a follow. We appreciate each and every one of you. I'd also like to thank everyone who's been with us since day one. You guys are the real heroes behind this podcast. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Thank you very much. This has been Leah Angela Schalke. Thanks for listening. Until next time.